The following podcast is a work of fiction. All characters are the creation of Peter Williams. Any resemblance to someone living or dead is purely coincidental. Thank you. What are your intentions, detective? Hmm? Sure, the Lady Cassandra is a tasty, saucy woman, but... (laughs) And how are things back at the ranch? The Cottage by Sins Divide, hmm? Surely you don't think I've forgotten about them, do you? Well, indeed, I have not. For this week, the battle has spilled over as Detective Donaldson and the strange Mr. Alistair stand against a cult. But before that, a gentle little reminder that this podcast does contain images of graphic violence, child endangerment, and naughty, salty language. It is not intended for children under the age of 13. Now... Grab your tentacles, some popcorn, and a good beverage as we join the fray at Chapter 20, The Battle at Sims Divide. (laughs) Mr. Alistair sat on the steps in front of the cottage, looking out at the rolling hills that ran down towards the Copperhead River. It was such a stark difference from where he had started his journey. He had laid dying against a crumbling stone wall under the scorching sun that illuminated the vast emptiness of the waste. He had returned here to die, his hatred gone, his regrets now boiled in him creating more pain than the sun above searing his flesh. He was now twice a traitor. First, to the Creator, joining in the revolt against heaven, serving under the Fallen One. And now, he had betrayed him too. All because of the kindness of a human woman. He laughed at the irony of it all. He had just fallen in battle against a strange man with amorous eyes. His strength was on par with Mikal's and the blade that he carried was something a human shouldn't be holding. That man, without thought of bravado, had smote his wings, and he had plummeted to the earth. There he waited for what seemed like hours for the man to come and finish him, but he never did. Slowly, he pulled himself up and hid in a barn near a small human village. Passing out from the pain, he awakened to find a woman, applying ointment to his wounds, and binding him with bandages. He could simply have killed her with a swipe of his claws, but she fascinated him. He managed to choke out a simple question. Why? She simply answered, I was taught that we should love our enemies. The statement made no sense to him. He thought her foolish. He figured he'd pretend to accept her kindness, heal, and then kill her and the village. But every day she came and cleansed his wounds and rewrapped his bandages, and she would read to him. The stories were of a man, kind, loving, forgiving. The more she spoke of him, the more he wanted to hear. One story in particular resonated with him, the prodigal son. How? How could that father forgive such sins and welcome someone home? How? 
He had to kill this woman soon. Before. Before what? In the end, he found himself watching over her and her family. As she grew old and passed away, he now felt empty like the waste. So he decided to return there and face the wrath of Ekmalak, the Fallen One. He looked down at his chest. His skin was almost black now. His horns, the ones he once held so high in defiance, sliced off and pinning him to the wall behind him. He was fine with this. It's what a traitor deserves. He would lie here every day till the end of time, reliving this. He'd be forced to watch his body char and burn, his blood and organs smolder, all to reform over and over. That was his end. That was... A shadow crossed his face, covering the sun's light. Who? He tried to make out the silhouette, but the impossibility of what he saw only made him believe that madness had set in. Demon, the shadow said to him, why do you lie here in such a state? He tried to talk, but only managed to cough up blood. Here, she said, drink this. He laughed. Is this Ekmalak's final punishment? To have a mirage offer him hope? They call you Malinthorn, or did. I have no name. I don't like that name, the girl said thoughtfully, disregarding his statement. He could see her clearly now. Bright blue eyes and silver hair. Uriel? No. No. No wings. And it's unlikely Uriel would come here to the waste. So, if she's not one of his, why? If she was ten, it would be a stretch. Making him ponder... How? How could a human child be standing here in the waste and not be turning to cinder? She put the cup to his lips and poured the liquid into his scorched mouth, forcing it down his throat. As the water passed his lips, the effects of the sun diminished and he could feel his strength returning to him. I think, she said in a melodic voice, I think I will call you Alistair. Mr. Alistair, do you like that name? She pulled the first of the two horns out of his flesh and tossed it into the sands. There, it ignited in the sun's blaze. What do you want of me, child? Well, Mr. Alistair, I need you to save and train my master. She said that, taking out the second horn and tossing it aside as well. Then, holding out her hand, she smiled at him. He slowly sat up and took it. It was so small, but yet seemed so full of incredible power. He laughed and said, And what do I call you, child? I'm Arista. Arista? That's an unusual name. He hadn't seen her since that day in the waste. The mysterious child that saved him and set him on his journey. A child that somehow seemed displaced in time. Feeling the hand on his axe, he scanned his surroundings. Like a blight, he could see the cultists were crawling across the fields, dotting the hillside. Mr. Donaldson! They come! A very sleepy, rich Donaldson opened the cottage door and squinted. Damn, they look like locusts. He brandished his gun, and Alistair scoffed. You aren't planning on using that against them, 
Are you? Uh, yeah, Donaldson replied. What else would I use? Alistair frowned and felt around his leather belt that held several strange items and artifacts. Finally, he set his hand on a small dagger. Well, small for him. He pulled it off his belt and went to hand it to Rich. Here, use this. I think you'll find it much more useful. This time, Rich frowned. I don't think so. Human, do you understand that to kill them, you need to hit them here? He pointed to where Rich's heart was in his chest. <laughs> Is that all? One of the cultists had climbed into range. <laughs> Donaldson's gun fired, and the cultist fell back, turning into ash as he did so. Mr. Alistair, my friend, there's a good reason I'm the youngest detective ever to serve in Montgomery. Alistair smiled. Maggie has chosen wisely. As he said that, he lifted his axe effortlessly, slicing down three of the cultists who had positioned themselves to strike out at Rich. Rich heard a scream and saw another trying to pry his way through the window near the kitchen. The cultist fell back and sneered at him. What are you doing? Alistair scowled. I said... The gun rang off again, and Rich watched as the thing turned into a deep gray, blowing away in a gust of wind. Easy, big fella. I just needed a clear shot. He smiled, setting his bearings on another two, making their way up the walls. Man, they really are like locust. Sheesh. The gun banged out another four times. He knocked them off the house and then followed with a kill shot. Meanwhile, another three had tangled themselves up with Alistair, who laughed as if he was enjoying himself. And Mr. Alistair was. He had longed to pay the cult back. Alistair threw the last one off of him and followed it with a one-handed axe swing. The body fell to the ground, cut in half, and like all the others, disintegrated into ash. Alistair turned to survey the field. Rich was lining up a kill shot for another one that had slipped past them and now threatened to break into the cottage. No. Alistair began to charge at Rich. He was so focused on the one by the door, he didn't see the other one rising up behind him. The gun went off, and Rich felt something huge slam against him before he released the kill shot. What the? Alistair tumbled over him with the cultist in his arms, but the sword was through Alistair's chest. Rich shot, nailing the man first into a standing position. Then he took out his head, followed by his heart. The one by the door was slinking away. Rich finished him off and then ran over to where Alistair lay, unmoving. The sword lay deep inside his chest and blood oozed from the wound. Shit, Rich cursed. Alistair tried to sit up and moaned. Easy, Big Red. I don't think you should move. He was looking around, trying to figure out how he could cauterize the wound. That, <coughs> spitting up red blood, that won't be necessary. But, Rich began, I knew before the battle that this was my fate, so don't cry for me, Argentina. Rich couldn't help but laugh at the lame attempt at humor. <laughs> Asshole and knelt down next to the fallen demon. Alistair squinted his eyes and gazed into the distance. I think I see my master approaching. Rich turned around. There was no one. Ah, 
Arister, you have come for me. The demon held up his hand and then went limp. It was then that Cassandra knew his intentions. Panicking, she looked to her left and right. There had to be something, somewhere, that she could grip onto and slow down this man's press towards the well. If he managed to... She tried to dig in with her feet, but her flesh liquefied against the cold, hard stone. Her body was useless in this form. She tried to pull herself up and grabbed onto his back with her nails and pulled her body against his, wrapping herself around him like a lover. The detective swallowed hard. The embrace sickened him, but she had miscalculated. He had every intention of diving into the well with her. Cassandra realized his drive towards the well did not slow. Fool! You'll die in those fluids while I will be reborn and straight down your friends at the cottage! She could feel the intensity of the flames around the sword growing as she tried to shift herself into a position where she could split herself and drop off before the two plummeted into the well. But he pulled her in tightly with his free hand, saying, You're not going anywhere. And with that, the two fell over the side of the well and into the black viscous. Flames exploded in front of the sword, igniting everything around them as Cassandra fell away screeching as fire consumed her. You can't kill me! I'm immortal! Below her, he could see tentacles rising fast through the well towards him, towards Hicks's heart that hung in the air as if on an invisible line. Then the fireball overtook it and slammed into the tentacled monster with a flash and a fury. A great deafening roar met his ears as fire exploded and he felt himself now being forced backwards out of the well. As he flew backwards, he could see the well collapsing into itself, the tentacles flailing around the falling stones. A great eye caught sight of him, but he was too far out of its reach. Instead, it refocused on something else and snatched it out of the air. He heard a hideous squelching noise as it encircled the Lady Cassandra and gnashed her remains in its teeth. Then it began to plummet backwards as the well turned into a mass of fluids and stones beneath him. He realized his own ascent was slowing, and now soon he and that stone floor were going to be good friends. Below, he spied the pillar that guided him, the pillar that was Hicks. She stopped, looked up and smiled at him, and then broke away into tiny specks of light, her voice briefly in his ears. Goodbye. Then another voice hollered out as his descent picked up. It was Jonah's. Maggie, now! Like a streak of black and purple, something shot from inside his coat and grabbed him out of the air. They landed and Warren stumbled to his feet. He eyed Maggie unfavorably. You knew. You knew back at the cottage, didn't you? Maggie turned her back on him and said, You're welcome, detective. Then she reverted back into the black and purple energy and vanished into the folds of Jonah's coat. Damn it! Damn her! Damn! Warren! Jonah scolded. He knew the power behind such words, behind such strong emotions. Sorry, I... Hey, as I told you earlier... She's coming back from a very dark place. You need to give her a break, okay? Then he noticed how pale Warren was. Speaking of okay, are you? I'll live, but I... He nearly collapsed, falling to his knees. 
I gotcha, Jonah said. Come on, we're done here. Let's go home. Are we really ever done, Jonah? He shrugged and helped the detective back to his feet. Hey, Warren said. Hicks, she said that you could still bring that girl back. Alex, can you? Yes, Warren, I can. But then Warren remembered the conversation that Jonah had had with Miss Kuchma. I'll bring Alex back, but there'll be a price. A price. He wondered exactly what that would be. Jonah acted like a crutch and helped him as they made their way out of the stone temple. The things that had plagued the place earlier had vanished, vacating to whatever neverworld they had slipped in from. On the other side, Warren could see the scorched circular pattern near the fractured tentacled archway. Is that rune? He asked Jonah. Yes. He was a little overconfident in the simplistic skills that vile creature had taught him. Warren looked at Jonah with a little bit of relief. Then, the cult is really finished, isn't it? As you said before, are we really done? But for now, yes, Jonah replied. The head of the snake has been severed, and it will be some time before they can find both a new home and a fool to lead them. Warren scoffed. I wonder what two suckers he'll find next time. Jonah shook his head. Enough, you. Come on. Let's go home. They stepped back into the vortex that had brought them there and found themselves stepping out of the mausoleum and into the cemetery. As they did so, the door slammed shut behind them. The cottage was just in view and the two could see the remnants of the battle that had been fought here. Daylight caressed the tops of the trees spreading out against the dazzling fall foliage. The grassy hills looked as if they had been stained with ink and similar marks surrounded the cottage. And Jonah froze. Alistair was lying on his back, staring into the morning sky. Letting go of the detective, he took off in a jog. Finally, it appears the cult has been defeated, and the well in which Ikyatsu was destined to return through destroyed. How will this affect poor Alex Kuchma on the other side? How will Jonah take the loss of his friend and mentor, Mr. Alistair? And with Miss Kuchma unaware of the ramifications, Will she still be willing to pay the heavy price for retrieving her daughter? Hmm, I wonder. Well, we'll find out next week in Chapter 21, Pain and Consequences.